done that better than most. That have done that. Thank on you. That very djembe. Chris Crespo, surprisingly, one of the better djembe players on earth. <laughs> I believe it's fucking. So it's closer to his body. <laughs> yes, so it his is. Soul is he just right has there. to go boom, boom, boom. His hands are closer to his heart than anyone else. <laughs> Episode 101 of Evolving with Corey Castle. Well, this is a Evolving with Corey Castle and Friend edition oh, and friend. of the podcast. And uh, today we have a special guest who goes by the name of Zach Amico. And he is a podcaster, comedian, roast comic, uh, director, filmmaker, and a swell dude. Oh, thank you very much for having me, guys. What's that? Thank you for having me, guys. Oh, I think, I think, so I think you got all of them. them. I think you got all of them. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Appreciate it's it. It's always good to have one professional in the room. Yes. <laughs> so, um, uh, man, I just, I kind of want to talk to you about, like, your life and the path that brought you to, to I mean, because eventually the question will be, like, what's your look at me? What's your incurable look at me? Mm-hmm. Like, the damage that caused that. Like attention-seeking life yeah. that we live. So, like, take me through. Like, were you an only child? Did you have brothers and sisters? Did you have your parents together? Like that kind uh, of only kind of child, mm-hmm. son of a welder. And uh, when I was a little kid, my mom was an art teacher, mm-hmm. and my parents got divorced when I was thirteen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, right at that good developmental spot, mm-hmm. right, yeah, is when the attention really. I always wanted to be. In the entertainment industry, I, I acted when I was a little kid. I did like Nickelodeon commercials and stuff. Oh, really? What, what commercials? Uh, there was a, a ad they used to do called Smellovision, where it was like a card with scratch and sniff for the I show. Remember yeah, I remember shit. that. I remember that. I shit. did one of those commercials. I did the poster for Nickelodeon Super Toy Run, mm-hmm. and then like like local print ads for like little like computer companies and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. And that's how I paid for like all my books for college and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that money got put away. So I always wanted to be a part of entertainment, mm-hmm. and then from being on sets when I was a little kid, made me want to kind of get involved in all the movie stuff. Uh-huh. That is awesome. So, um, where'd you grow up? I grew up in a town about 15 minutes out of New York City <coughs> called Secaucus, New Jersey. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. All right. Uh, it is a, uh, a, it's a transit station with a town around it. <laughs> I didn't even that's, know there was people who lived there. That that's was like, I think that was my uh, exact... Uh, opinion. Yeah, a lot of people think it's an industrial area. I didn't area. know that there was anybody who lived there. Wait, one of the guys I used to wrestle with was from Chicago. Chris Egan. I don't know if I know Chris Egan. He, uh, he runs, he's one of the guys who runs Pro Wrestling Magic right now. I'm not sure if I met him. Him and uh, Mike Minervi, like, they used to train at JAP. I know Mike Minervi. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they used to, we all trained at JAP together, like, Mike doing his uh, ICP fanboy gimmick. Yeah. He was Mike Jekyll, which was always... That's Mike Minervini, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I grew up with Mike's little brother, Lou. Oh, shit, okay. So, yes, and I remember, I do remember being in high school and Mike being older than us and him taking us into his weird blacklight juggalo room <laughs> and uh, trying to explain the uh, the dark carnival to us. Did he, did he succeed in explaining it? No, but he succeeded... It to be explained to be... It succeeded in me it. knowing that Big Money Hustlers is one of the funniest movies yes. ever made. Like... Legitimately a great comedy, dude. I was never really? a huge ICP fan, but between Big Money Hustlers and fucking Stranglemania one and two, I was like, oh, okay, 
Like, I'll at least anytime they're on wrestling, I will stop what I'm doing. Well, I, I really, I'm not, obviously the music is, is an acquired taste, but when you see them do stuff like that, you realize, oh, they know it's funny. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it makes it 20 times funnier when you see these diehard juggalos who don't know it's hilarious. Because they know it's funny. They know they're two white guys who were ten white guys who got the shit kicked out of them when they were the inner yes. city posse. Yes. And they're like, fuck it, we're clowns. <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. A big one, it's like legitimately the timing on it, the cameos, everything about it. Foley's like, in it? Yeah, Foley's yeah. in it. Oh, who else is they, they, they used to be called Inner City Posse? Yes. There and was like eight of them, and they used to get like jumped. Eastern Championship Wrestling. Yes. It, it was, was ECW. Before yeah, they used to get, to get the shit kicked out of them until everybody quit but the two of them. <laughs> and then they decided, like, eh, clowns is the way to go. Yeah. And, and they're legitimately funny dudes. Oh, yeah, dude. And the biggest rib they ever pulled was the whole, by the way, this is all about Jesus. Yeah. I was like, no fucking way. To the point where you can't even... I don't know if they're serious or not. They did that? If it, oh, yeah. Yeah, they did that around the time Miracles came out. Yeah. And then, yes, and then they released the song Miracles, where they talked about magnets. Who the fuck knows how they work? Yeah. So, you, so it must be all Jesus is doing. Yes. Yeah, yes. They're, they're too funny, dude. Like, and I, I love everything they ever did in rap. Like, I, the oddity is so, so underrated Dude. to me. What a great way to pass off people that couldn't work. Oh, oh, it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. It's like, we have Earthquake. We still, like, we owe... They, he had blackmail on somebody, because otherwise, like, I don't understand how he just... He was always there. What do we do with him? Oh, let's put him in a, uh, a bowling ball bag. And a Cartman shirt. Yeah, and a Cartman shirt. And uh, we'll get the guy from the Truth Commission... Because no one understands the racism of that. So let's change that up. We'll bring him in. And then, uh, who's the guy who looks like Stonehenge? Let's get him in here, too. Like, George Steele was in it, too. Yeah, George, George Daniel Steele. Steele was in it. And Luna. Yes. Well, and Luna was always so old stripper hot, it was disturbing. Like, Luna looks like the kind of chick that, like, could open Heineken bottles with her asshole. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 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 Would they be wow. the kind that are like the can bottles? No, like, no, no. Like like big, or like the like hard glass bottle. Hard, the hard glass, yeah. Just... <laughs> Open one for me too. There's a there's a comic there's a comic who has a, a special on Amazon. I can't remember his name, but in it he talks about how he used to be a pro wrestler for for WXW and Luna like bit a big chunk out of his back in his stand up special. On Amazon, I wish I knew it right off the top. Yeah, he's a wrestler for for pops. Yeah, he worked for WXW back in the day, and he has a stand-up special on Amazon. I can't, can't think of it. Can't remember his name. It's called the Anyone Can Get a Special Comedy Special. And <laughs> like, eh, not so special. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, no, that's always like the parallel is so there, you know, in terms of having to think on your feet and having to be all eyes on you in a room full of people and be at your most vulnerable, be it telling jokes or not wearing a shirt. Because um, that's, like, way more fucking daunting. And I do both, so. <laughs> dude, <laughs> the first time I ever met you, you come up to me, you're like, oh, hey, dude, I did the Sandman last night. I broke beer cans over my head. And, like, and then, then yeah, wait, this yep. was also going on during a naked roast, right? Yeah, I do a show called Naked Roast Battles. Uh, you guys came the third year we did it at uh, Skankfest uh -huh. this year. Uh, I mean, I didn't see it. But oh, I mean, okay. I was there. It was, um, 
So three years ago when they were putting Skankfest together, they they passed the idea of me hosting a show, mm-hmm. and we were sitting at our uh, the guy who owns Gas Digital Network uh, now my podcast company, uh, Ralph Sutton's apartment, and we said, "What are the two dumbest shows in New York City?" And it was Roast Battle and The Naked Show. What was The Naked Show? The Naked Show is just a stand-up show where everyone would go up naked. They would do it at the Creek in the Cave. Mm. (laughs) Uh, They would do it once a month. And the audience also had the option to be naked. Wow. Which made it a lot weirder. Oh, of course. When I did it, just one guy in the front row got naked. (laughs) And you know how they like say, like, hey, if you're ever nervous, picture the audience naked. Yes. You know what's a lot weirder than that? One oh naked man <laughs> in a room full of clothed people. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and he heckled. No. Like, he was way too into it. Did, <laughs> did you, did you, like, uh, did you, what, I wouldn't want to say castrate him, but did you, did you, uh, did I think he, he was heckling every comic, and at one point, because what sucks for me is, because I have the roast background, a lot of MCs who don't know me will bring me up with, this guy's a roaster, so don't fuck with him. So now, anyone who's an asshole... They're going right for your neck. Exactly. It's oh. an open challenge. Well, like, that's, like a, that's like an old thing we say in wrestling. Like, if you don't want to get hit with a weapon, don't bring it out there. Yeah. And so yeah. that's your weapon that you don't want to get hit with, that you're getting hit with all the time. I'm fine with it, but... No, it just, it's just like, it, it it's not conducive to stand up. Mm-hmm. Right. This guy's so good at giving shit. Give yeah. him shit, everybody. Yeah. Like. It's like the when the, the Foo Fighters stopped playing that Mentos song. Yeah. They didn't want to get hit with the Mentos. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, so we combined those two shows. Right. Or we did it uh, two years ago at the Creek. Uh, then again, uh, last year we did it in a loft space. And then this year we did it at um, Brooklyn Bazaar. It was uh, a lot of people. It was like a 400-seater this time. Mm-hmm. Dude, and it was really wild. That sh- the whole experience of it all, like, growing up in wrestling was fucking madness. It was like, oh, okay, this is, this is like a high bar for the coolest shit I've ever been to. Like, you guys fucking put on an insane show. It was definitely more controlled than last year. Last year got a little out of hand. Ari Shafir threw a cup of piss in my face. While you were naked, right? Yeah, okay, so what happened was... And bleeding. Ari was host. Uh, Ari was judging. I was hosting last year. I was nude. I wanted to blade because I do. Um, the two things I always do is staple gun because I uh, I have friends that come out of like the sideshow background, so yeah. I've done a lot of shows with them with staple gun. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my buddy Arlo, I've hired MC for me. He's a third generation sideshow performer, and he hosted for me a few years ago. And it would be. He would come up and do sideshow tricks, and then we had comics in between. And I closed. Thank you, good night. He went on stage and did another trick, which is a no-no in comedy. You let the closer close, close and then and say, it. and then you thank everybody and say good night. Yeah. When when you're when you're doing naked comedy, what's your close? <laughs> wow! <laughs> wow! I'm just gonna keep going. Yeah, uh, that's all you can do. So that's he went out and do. put a rat trap on his tongue. And I, of course, can't be showed up on the no. show that I'm closing. No. So I went back out and I closed the rat trap on my dick. Mm. Grand. What the fuck? I later this found out that it was rigged, that you could take one of the hooks off. <laughs> uh, but, so that became a thing I do at Naked Roast Battle every year. Is I, I, I end with putting a, a rat trap on my dick. But, the, like, 
Do you gimmick the rat trap? Yeah, you or hate now. So now rat traps have you, two, you didn't know that at first. No, I did not. I Jesus learned eventually. Right. So you that the, so there's two up hooks trap. on the springs. Yeah, huh? yeah. You can take one off and put it at half. God pressure. dang, man! Dude, why didn't, dude, why didn't research that first? So uh, last year I was like, oh, I'm gonna bleed because I used to blade in. I played in a, a band like a. a uh, we were called synth punk, so it was a punk band with all keyboards. Mm-hmm. And I used to cut my head open in that band all the time, usually with scissors or glass, and then eventually yeah. I just started blading. But I've done it a million it's times. It's a lot easier doing it, like, oh, you yeah. go across? Yeah, I go across. You're fucking nuts. Well, and I see yeah, a no big one... scar right there. Yeah, there's a, I have a long one, and then a from yeah, this deep one, one yeah, is it. from Skankfest last year, because what happened big was, big whenever I bladed, I went across, but I had a dollar bill stapled on this side, so I started from the middle, mm. and I heard the crunch of the artery. Oh god! And I heard damn, crunch, so... drip, 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 and I looked, and it was my toes getting covered in blood. Yeah, grand. Oh, yeah, it was. Awesome. Yeah, immediately it's, it pieces covered. Pieces out of your head at that point. It could like I couldn't stop it. It was like embarrassing yeah. how much of a mess I made. Oh dude, fucking uh, Dixie, who was there today, uh, he has a scar going down the length of his forehead. Because he was blading, and DeVito dropped an elbow on him while he had the blade in. Yeah, it just went straight down. The Mad Dog Vashon. Yeah, <laughs> fucking it missed his eye by like probably like a half an inch. Dude, you take it, you poke, yep. you twist. Don't. No, no, no. Well, this, I always did it on stage, not secretly. I always yeah, like yeah. Well, because you didn't have to fucking hide it when you're. Hey, yeah. everybody, watch the work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sh- yeah. yeah. Well, look, you don't thank have to, God you don't have to, been dead you don't for have to 30 pretend fucking like, years. Like it was an accidental <laughs> bleeding. It was, you know what I mean? Like, you don't have to be like, oh, well, something hit me, so, oh, here I gotta go yeah. hide over here and pretend like I'm, I'm selling the pain. Yeah, so I heard the crunch, and then I'm just covered in blood, and then everybody starts screaming, and then Ari Shafir stands up, he's naked, he had finished his beer, he filled the entire cup back up with piss, and threw it in my face. So he oh threw a piss <laughs> fresh from the tap too. Oh my and you were God. covered in your own blood, and then you got piss on you. And that uh, it was right after Comedy Central had uh, decided to have Roy Wood Jr. host the third season of This Is Not Happening. Right, right. Which may have coincided with Ari putting out a Netflix special yes. instead of giving him their special. So who knows why that <laughs> but relationship also, altered? Yes, that was it. Was the week of that. So Ari threw the cup of piss in my face, and I, all I was thinking was, like, you better say something funny. Like, you better not just let him bitch you out like this. Yeah. And I went, oh, man, now I know how Ari Shafir felt when Comedy Central fired him from his own show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was the best. <laughs> it was so out of hand. <laughs> oh, fuck. Well, uh, yeah, I, and Lewis dumped it on, on Ari this yeah, year. Yeah, this year, Lewis pissed in a cup and threw it on Ari. Yes. It's our year-long storyline no, that had a payoff. Your final payoff. <laughs> the receipt. Here's yeah. your receipt, fool. That's amazing. I mean, but how great is that? A Dude, comedy festival so with a, nar- a year-long narrative. <laughs> no, it's Next year, crazy. we're all throwing piss on each other. Yeah. The piss roast battle next year. It has to be like a six-man with Ari, Marin, and fucking Crespo. Against you, Lewis, and a mystery roaster. Yes. Fucking. But um, yeah, so now, but people are like scared of us now. It's getting, like, it's gotten a little too intense. We're like, I know, I think Stanhope's scared of us now. And a few other comics were like, I heard that gets kind of wild. <laughs> and that's 100% my fault. <laughs> <laughs> the because of the blood and the piss? Yeah. Uh, Last year when I came out, 
this year I did Sandman. Last year I came through the back uh, with the lantern and I did the Bray Wyatt entrance. Yes. But I had a carabiner, like a little mountain climbing clip, mm-hmm. on the uh, lantern, and I hung it off my dick ring, so I had my back oh. to the crowd doing the arms open pose, and then when the song goes psychedelic, I turned around, and it was a completely black room with just the lantern shining up my dick. Oh, oh my god. Oh boy. I That's think I've heard of that. I don't know if I heard that story <laughs> from you, or I heard it from somebody else, but I know I've heard... That that happened. Yeah, like, that's... I just love, because I know enough wrestlers like Roast Battle... Oh, yeah. ...that at some point, that information has gotten back to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, this guy did your entrance with the lantern on his fucking dick. <laughs> I gotta see it. And you know Bray Wyatt's going, yeah. I gotta see it. Yeah. <laughs> fucking... Oh. And that's, like... That's the thing that... Doing stand-up, just starting when everyone's like... Oh, aren't you afraid of getting on stage? No. It's the worst that happens is my jokes don't land. I won't get paralyzed. Yeah. Like, that's a fantastic thing. Fucking, when you're joking, sometimes bombing is more fun. If you're there with friends, it can be. Yeah, because, you know, they're getting like, a kick out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You can entertain the back of the room while you're bombing. Yes. So I get that. Like, and I think it comes from, like, having shit matches. Fucking the first three years in the business were it was like fourteen to seventeen. I couldn't do shit properly. Couldn't do shit properly, and then fucking you pick it up. It's like oh, okay, like now I understand what it is the fuck I'm doing, and then it's like okay, I can do something decent now in politics. Yeah, well, that's I think when, of the when I when I came up, they were like. The, the stakes were so high, like, if I bombed, like, if I fucked up something, they were like, oh, well, the hate club's gonna come out and beat the shit out of you if you fuck anything up. Like, that was, that was shoot told to me before every match I had. That's fucking... Well, funny. look at them now. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> look at them now. Oh, Dude. boy. I mean, last time I talked to Nick was right after he, right after he um, got helicoptered from that mm-hmm. show to, I called him in the hospital and we talked for, like, 30 minutes. But I haven't seen him or talked to him since then. But, uh, yeah, Nate, I mean, uh, I don't... Dude, okay, I mean, so... I haven't, I haven't talked to him, I mean, up until that point, I haven't talked to him probably four years, something like that. It's been a while. So, but... Uh, so yeah. this... Uh, yeah. When we did the last show, the production company, like, all the boys were in the ring, and the production company let everyone know they're getting their money by PayPal in the morning. <laughs> Literally, as they're saying that, we get the news Nate died. Mm-hmm. But from the optics of it all, not getting the news and just seeing, like, four people the minute, like, it'll be PayPal due in the morning, get up like this and, like, walk out of the fucking ring, mm-hmm. like, almost in tears. I was like, is it that bad? Is it that? And then we find you out. You pay tonight. You like, now? And then I find out, and it's like, it's this weird thing where... We're constantly joking that wrestling years is 10 years to human life. Yeah. So Nate dying at 40, he was 400. Yeah. Like, he lived a long and healthy life to 400 years old, and then he fucking died. Like, um, and he died in a car accident. Yeah, it wasn't even... Yeah, he, he and it was quick, and like, it's such a morbid thing to say, but by the same token, he went out better than a lot of guys do. Yes. And it sucks, but we become so desensitized to it 
having to bury fucking half the people you've met in like a ten year span. You're just like, oh, okay, this is life now. So, but that's comics and that's rock stars too. As yeah, a, as it's a, anybody who's on the road. Now wrestling's cleaned up in terms of like the drug scene and everything. It's comedy, or much, it's very like, much so. It's uh, almost antiquated to be like that road comic who does blow. Like you still see uh, the the remnants of it, like an abandoned amusement park, like the uh, the green room at the comedy store. I think is like it's just cocaine. The bathroom, <laughs> <laughs> the bathroom in the comics green room. The fixtures, the walls, the floor, everything is jet black. The entire, the toilets, <laughs> the sinks, everything's jet black. And you go, oh, that's because in the 80s, you need everyone... To know what was coke and what wasn't coke. Yeah, you didn't want to, everyone was, that's just where everyone did blow. But no, it's very, I can't think of anybody that, like, the. I would say the last generation of those guys all died out. Yeah, so, yeah, the same, the same type of shit where... You, you learn, and then the fans become social justice warriors, and then you have to deal with that. Yeah, and then, I mean, you just, I mean, comics and wrestlers, you could probably go tit for tat with how many died young. Oh, sure, yeah. of course. And, you know, it, it's always this weird romanticism of the ones who do. Yes. Where, where you're like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. So can we, do you remember who these people were in life? Yeah. Like, some of them... Dude, one of my best friends, Trinacid, died of a heroin overdose. Incredibly talented worker, decent enough person, super fucked up towards the end. It's like all the other towards the end shit never happened, the way guys talk about it. Like, he, right. Look, I, dude, can we not Can we not pretend that like if you had shit that he'd steal, you'd hide it? Like, can we not pretend that that was the case? Because, I mean, well, of course, like, he's an addict, and that sucks that he did, like, that that was what it came to, but... That's something we did. Like, why didn't we go, hey, bro, get clean? You know, like, fig- let's help you figure this out. We were like, oh, well, Mike's getting in the car, hide all your shit. Yeah, it's like, but you, he didn't OD for our sins. He wasn't Jesus. We can, you know, when Rebel, people still talk about Rock and Rebel. Yeah. Like, the good dude he was, and it's like, he fucking killed his wife and then killed himself. Like, look, you could be. Really fucking nice to people. Yeah, I've seen that spot before. Yeah, like, (laughs) no, exactly. (laughs) What a hack. What a huge hack for that. I texted, I wrestled as as a rib, I wrestled as Rebel for Halloween Mm. when I was like 19. He stole one of my gimmicks, so I figured a little Jewish kid running around saying this racist was my father. Mm -hmm. I just called my dad for like a year. Wrestled as him for Halloween. Timmy Baltimore, uh, who did All In, Mm -hmm. Brent Taring, um, was my manager. I messaged him after the Rebel thing. I said, I fucked up the spot. <laughs> I said, it was supposed to be tackle, drop down, duck one, murder, suicide. <laughs> like, and, but there's a reason why there's not a documentary about how great of a football player OJ was. There's a very clear reason for that. And I don't know if comedy does it, but the wrestling business, like, ignores the reason for but, a, doc- but, a documentary but, like but, that. Oh, we ignore people, you know, people, these people, we always, in comedy... You know, he was the best guy ever, and then, you know, there's no documentary about him because, you know, he lost his kids. Or, you know, he wasn't talking to his kid. He wasn't paying child support when he was out on the road. You uh, always find that out. Yeah. And, you know, you hear everybody eulogize, it's like, yeah, but he wasn't actually... Yeah, he he was a good comic. Yeah. And I'm sure he, like... I'm sure he was drinks. a great guy to hang out with. Yeah. But you always hear about those guys, you know. The only person that I would say universally, like, is Patrice. Everyone loved Patrice, like... Yeah, that's a huge hole. Bad thing. That's a huge hole in the world, dude. He was 
the best fucking comic on earth. Like, looking back on it, like, growing up, I loved listening to him on O&A. Mm-hmm. And then, like, listening to his stand-up and looking back on, like, the amount, like, what he actually put out in terms of, like, the radio and everything like that, like, he was fucking brilliant. And honest to the point where, like, it's like, oh, I aspire to that level of honesty in terms of just, like, my life and everything. And, yeah, like, now, so much of what's happening now, it's like, fuck, man. I you think all the time, God, I wish I knew what Patrice thought about yes, this. Yes, exactly, exactly. Does he think Patrice on Trump? Can you imagine? Dude. Patrice, but, and, and wrestling's kind of the same way where certain guys are like, man, like, they'd be right up there if this didn't happen, if that didn't happen. It's like, Patrice was a different case because mm-hmm. he died of diabetes. He wasn't... Yeah. He didn't off himself, basically, in one way, shape, or form. Yeah. Wrestling, like, dude, the wrestler came out. Mm -hmm. One of my boys was in it. He died before the movie got made. Like, got actually fucking made. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, all sorts of shit. And then you see guys, like, later on, you're like, holy, it's this weird survivor thing. It's like, holy shit, you made it. I saw Rob Echoes, and he, uh, me and him used to ride together when I was, like, 17. He's like, man, you used to be all jacked. What happened to you? First thing out of his mouth. I was like, drugs and head injuries? He goes, shit, at least you're still alive. And then we laughed for like three minutes because it's like, that's, I guess it's what brought me to stand up. And I was like, okay, this is the logical step because this is where you can take all the the bullshit mm-hmm. and go, okay, I can get rid of this. Like, I've heard people refer to the stage, like, what they're on stage is, like, the character. Like, oh, no, this is yeah. the character you're portraying. Like, do you have that, or is it just, like... No. I think I think it's definitely... What I do on stage is definitely, like, when you hear about a wrestler, it's like, he's just a, an accelerated version of himself. Yeah. How Cactus Jack is just a part of... That's a real part of McFoley, just the... Yeah. The angry, crazy part of him. Absolutely. I'd say that's what my... If I have a character on stage, it's this amped-up version of me. Well, yeah. I mean, like... When did you find your voice in stand up? Like it took me a really it took me longer than a lot of people. It probably took me about five years. Yeah. Um I always did stories, mm-hmm. which I still most of my act is more storytelling. But I definitely didn't find the smaller punches mm-hmm. that I kinda do now, like where I the way I pepper up stories, I didn't it took me like five or six years. I'm ten years in now and it took me a lot longer than a lot of other people. Were you doing like the five sets a week, seven sets a week thing that everyone does? I actually, uh, I came up a little different. I took a comedy writing class uh, my senior year at NYU, and our final was either a 20-page paper or five minutes of stand-up at Eastville Comedy Club. So obviously everyone did stand-up. Yeah. And then this guy named Wayne Rada put it together. He, at the time, managed Voss, Bonnie, Patrice, and Big J. Okay. He shows, like, a few of us uh, to kind of get comedy lessons, more or less, <laughs> from Dante Nero, Justin Silver, a couple, Dave Smith was there. Jesus. Um, then he had us all perform, and he asked me if I would be interested in uh, re- really doing stand-up, and he would kind of set me up with something. So he started giving me shitty spots at the club he ran. And I lost my job, and he put me, maybe a uh, doorman, and selling tickets for the club. I did that for about two, three years. And I basically went through comedy boot camp for all of that, which yep. is checks. Mm-hmm. So I ate the checks. And what that means for people 
listening that aren't familiar with the terminology, when you have a showcase show, not like, you know, the headliner doing an hour, you know, like a, when you see comedy on the road, it is most of the time opener, feature, headliner. Opener yeah. does 10, feature does 25, headliner does 45 to an hour. In New York and L.A., there are showcase shows, so you'll see anywhere between five and eight comics do about 15 minutes each. Between the last two comics, most clubs, uh, other than like one or two, drop checks, and they'll put up a young comic to go up and eat his dick while everybody pays their bill. That's what I did for about two years, three years straight. So you're you're pretty much set up to not fail hard. Well. Yeah. Yes, you don't. I mean, not only are you going between the two strongest comics on the show, right? You're going between the last two people. Usually, you're the divas match three between hour. the two, the Raw and SmackDown main event. Yes, and everybody's paying their bill, not paying attention. Sometimes the lights go back up. Oh, like it's shit. brutal. So I spent years. Just bombing while people yelled how much they paid for their drinks at me. <laughs> but, you know, that's trial by fire. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Right. It makes you better. It's it makes you, you quicker. Good. It makes you not... I mean, I've had... You, you, you bomb in every way imaginable eating tracks, but it's boot camp. Yep. That's how you get good well, at shit. Yeah, man. and it was really... And you, it was, you don't get I'm good really glad I did. doing good. Yeah. You don't get good You care about surviving. It. Right. Yeah. Like, yep. you don't learn anything when you do well from the start. Yes. You have to, you have to eat shit to learn. Yeah, and that's kind of a... A lot of comics come up through open mics. Yep. I never really did mics. Um, I hosted a mic and would go up in between everybody. And at one point, I changed the format of the show where I would sit right next to the stage and bring up everybody to the stage and make fun of them, either before or after. And that's where the roasting came in. Okay. That That was, like, how I started doing roasting, was making fun of all my friends that did my mic. Nice. And then I started writing for a couple things, and then eventually that led to uh, Rose Battle. Rose Battle. Yeah. Now, were you working with Troma the whole time you were doing this? Yes, right out of college. Uh, I was always making little horror movies. Uh, I made a few in college, one of which um, somebody at Troma had seen and contacted me about uh, working with them. Nice. So right out of college, most people interned in college. I waited till after, like an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And I just started going in, hanging out at the office, doing, like, bullshit menial work, and kind of meeting everybody. Mm -hmm. I did that for about a year and a half. That was around 2009. And then they were put together Return to Newcomb High, uh, which we shot in 2012-2013. And I auditioned for that. They found out I was a comedian and asked if I would be interested in doing, uh, basically, wrangling the extras. For the movie, because they figured since I was a comic, I could kind of entertain everybody. Yeah. Because we shoot sometimes 18-hour days, and to keep all the extras there all day who aren't getting paid is a bit of a task. You yeah, entertain them. And that eventually became a second assistant director, and then that got bumped up to associate director, which is not a real uh, credit on films. <laughs> but uh, I did that on those two movies, and now on this new movie, Shakespeare Shitstorm. And the only person uh, other than me that Lloyd's given that title to is uh, James Gunn. Oh, shit. So, essentially, I'm... Because Lloyd will come a little later in the day, and if it's uh, been a long day, sometimes he doesn't stay the whole day. Mm -hmm. So, essentially, I, I step in and do some of the blocking and directing, and I rehearse the actors, I give line reads, and then I do punch-up. If a joke's not working, we rewrite it. So, in ten years, you're going to get fired from Disney? Oh, yeah, that's 
that's coming. Nice. Well, a much lower rent. More, it'll be a much sadder firing from a much lower rent company. Zach Amico loses his position with Lionsgate. <laughs> he was working the blacklight at the door at Chuck E. Cheese, yeah, just, and they let him go. Yeah. Fucking Miramax comes back. Yeah. You're, you're too racy for Miramax. We were going to... We were going to bring him out, and then we uh, we stumbled upon this naked roast battle footage. Yeah. I'm going to be the first comic to get us to <laughs> <laughs> uh, So, um, I, I don't know how much this is a bit or not a bit. I'm not sure. Because I just, I've heard you make jokes, and I don't know the full story. Uh-huh. Uh, now, where did you discover your sexuality? Is that something where it's... You're just bi? Is it pan? What's that? What, I don't know. I've it? never really put a lot of stock into it. Like, is that what's that part of your you're finding yourself? Like, part of that like only child damaged thirteen year old boy with divorced parents? Like, to what, be honest, I think I just like getting my dick sucked. Okay, was that? Like, I mean, was that fair answer? Did that start at thirteen? That started at like sixteen. Yeah. Um, I've never really put a lot of. St- I've always considered everybody. Right. Everybody's well, well, like, some I, type of sexually I think fluid. The, the question that I just asked yeah. probably, probably yeah. made me seem like I'm acting like it's a choice, and I really no, 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 no. I, I know that it isn't. Um, so I'm just asking, like, where, when did you discover that, and how have you probably like approached coming out to people about it? And I mean, even, I never have not, not not coming out as much as just like not being ashamed. Just make of jokes it. About I've it always discussed it matter of factly. Mm. Um, to be honest, I never told my parents. They just found out from roast battle. Right. Because it's not like I was going to be like, hey, Dad, I got my dick sucked by this sweet black guy with abs. <laughs> like, eh, he doesn't need that. <laughs> no, no, it's not a conversation you want to have with your father. He's like, who's oh, a welder? At least yeah. he had abs. <laughs> my dad's a marine welder. Oh, fucking God damn it. Sealing up the bottom of fucking giant, giant, <laughs> giant ship. ships in a, yeah. in a goddamn fucking... <laughs> Yeah, my son. Hugh Gary and Bayonne. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna have him have to fucking live with that. No. What's, what's your son do? He tells jokes and lets dudes blow him. Yeah. They have abs though, so it's supposed yeah. to be okay. <laughs> it work out. Yeah. No. Like, I I dig it completely in terms of the. I'm an only child too, and my father owned a hardware store. Like, just super like upstanding dude, and it's like, I am a, a fuck up pro wrestler, drug dealer, fucking, who has, I had to tell him a story about, like, the one hooker that I was, like, seeing turning out to be my ex-fiance's little cousin, and me not knowing it, like, I had to tell my dad that, and then I realized at that second, no, families need secrets, like, that was a fucking horrible idea. Well, like, (laughs) (laughs) what, what are you, what are your thoughts on, like, Trans and that whole stuff, like whatever you if, if it's not affecting anybody else, just have whatever whatever makes you happy. If it doesn't encroach on anybody else's rights, mm. it's just great, man. Just it's I just want people, I just want everyone to be happy and comfortable. Think about that. How many people are assholes all day, every day to everybody? Just because they're uncomfortable. Because they're unhappy with who they are. Or how they present themselves or the life they're living. So the more honest and happy people are, I think the better the world is. Anxiety and nerves, I think a lot of it comes from you not being sure who you are. Like once you kind of learn who you are and learn what you're cool with and learn what you're not cool with, but can learn to deal with the things you're not cool with, like... That's how you start finding out who you really are. Yeah, I, 
it, it is, I mean, it is a confusing thing for somebody that's never had those thoughts. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned before I played in a band, the, the person who was the drummer in my band became a woman uh, when they moved to Los Angeles after the band broke up, and I hadn't hung out with them in years, and I went to go visit her, and here's this woman answers the door that in the, essentially the body of my friend who I grew up with. Yeah, yeah. Who was my friend Justin, who had a giant dick. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, the best part now is all the girls we double-teamed. Now I can say I had a threesome with two chicks. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and I got to ask them honest questions. Like, you know, what's it like? What's the the medication process yeah. like? Mm-hmm. And the funniest thing they said was, uh, <laughs> you know how we used to always get mad when our girlfriends were cold all the time? I was like, yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm cold all the time. <laughs> I'm freezing. I don't know what it is. The second I started taking estrogen, everywhere's cold. I'm freezing all the time. I can't go to the movies. It's too cold. <laughs> What a relatable That's, premise. It's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> no, like, it, it's so... It's so weird, like, when I... One of my old bosses got caught on a catch of predator. And he mm-hmm. ran a giant wrestling organization at the time. And more people were mad that he was gay and didn't tell anyone mm-hmm. than that he was trying to fuck a 15-year-old. He was 14. 14-year-old, like, pardon. <laughs> pardon. Uh, I'm not trying to give away who it is, because, you know... Yeah, the business. Um, <laughs> yeah, because no one can estimate. Yeah. No one can figure out. No, just from it, those again, it's it's not a. Un- I went I went to high school with another guy who got caught on it. Which yeah, was, you know, like it's, it's to say you met two people who yeah. had to sit down and eat brownies at one point yeah. in time is fucking weird shit. Yeah, no, I agree, and we wouldn't want to out them or whatever, because no. trying to fuck a kid is definitely breaking the code of honor. Yeah, but, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Look, this is a point I made, and I think I... think I, 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 <laughs> I mean, people... It, okay, you stumble across something you like, and it happens to be kid. Uh, okay, I'm not, not advocating yeah. for it at all. Because I still fuck those guys. But, yeah, it's a mentally, but, but it is a but, mentally ill like, person. You have to feel so bad for them. Of course, of course, it sucks. You know what I mean? If, yeah. And like, but and you're broke. Lou, you're Lou, a broken human being. And Louie even did a bit about it on SNL, and he's like, "Okay, I'm never coming back here, probably." Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh, it must they 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 get put away for it, and then they get told never do it again, and then they do it again. Is it that good? Like, he did a whole bit about it. Yeah, they're mentally it's, ill, broken it's people. Fucked up. Yeah. The guys, I mean. I got to throw a book. Okay, but see, there's a difference between mentally ill, broken people and, like, being super fucked up predators. Yes, Andre. Yeah. Like, I got to throw a boiling cup of water in one of their faces because Canada has different rules than the United States. The cops just, they don't, they don't want you to put you in jail and, like, have you come back out and molest kids. So they let bikers kill you and things like that. Um,. So one day we're at the hotel because we were driving hookers around for money because Teddy. Um, so one of the guys goes in that car out there and tells this whole story about this guy like got a mail order bride who had a kid, brought him over, and was raping the kid and like gaslighted the mom and everything. I was like, they're like, we there's cops in the hotel, mind you. Mm-hmm. They're like, just you know, you can. Uh, Go get a cup of coffee. Just get the water. Just trip. Mm-hmm. I was like, "That's what you want me to do?" They're like, "Yeah." I was like, "Okay." So I did, and I got such a fucking badge of honor for doing it. Like it was always like, "Who's he?" Oh no, he's cool. He threw a fucking bo- uh, cup of boiling water on a pedophile. He's cool. 
So, like, I was always like, yeah, a bunch of... It was the weirdest thing, because, again, little Jewish guy and a bunch of guys with swastika tattoos who were all, like, cool with me, and that was a huge part of my cool points. Because you got to hang out with the people who didn't like little Jews. Yes, and, and, oh, no, they but they all them. wanted to befriend me to show that they weren't racist. Yeah. That it's just gang stuff, it's not anything. Saying, now reading this. Hell's Angels, like, reading Hunter S. Thompson, like, because that was always my fantasy, like, I'm going to be Hunter S. Thompson. This is going to be Hunter S. Thompson. It's like, no, I'm just making really bad life choices. But, like, reading Hell's Angels, it's like, okay, some of them weren't lying. I do want to do that, the the daily diet. The, oh, uh, my God. I want to try that. I've, I've watched people try to do it. I don't know if it's humanly possible. Like, I think he was an alien. So no, I think he's much. lying. <laughs> Dude, I've never done coke, but, like, if I ever get a terminal thing, I'm certainly, certainly going to do the Hunter S. Thompson diet. Yeah. that's... Like, you know how, like, when you get to a certain point in life and you've done enough, like, grimy shit, you're like, you have those certain things you hang your hats on? I've never done coke, crack, or heroin. Congratulations. Yes. I made it. I did meth once by accident. Same. Like, that's always fun. Like, you're like, two days later, you're like, what the fuck is this? Why can't I sleep? Oh, dude, no, that was, that was meth. Yeah, yeah. What? Oh, yeah. yeah. Why am I sweating duck sauce? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I've walked, I've walked around the block 85 times. <laughs> And my sweat is coming down slowly. It's cascading. It's not sweat. It's like a gel coming yep. down my forehead. Mine was with a stripper named Bonita, who was a white girl with cornrows. There's a big difference between Bonita and Bonita. <laughs> that's who. That's who I did meth with. And it was an accident. Yeah, I thought it was coke. Okay. Yeah, my friend. Uh, she did the international sign for "Do you want to do coke?" Which is like look over and then, and I was like yes. And so you then point, you point, uh, you push it. She she went like this to me, and yeah. and I went yes, I would like to do that. And then what she gave me was the second I did it, I was like that's not cocaine, dude. No, no, no. It's like with it's, earrings. It's a, when we're a kids. Me- a meth if it's a left, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's like if it's a left nostril, yeah, it's meth. If it's, if it's the right, right nostril, ear, you're gay. Yes. Yeah, well, it was, is I was loaded at the time, I was 19, outside of a dive bar in Sea Caucus, and the second I did the line of it, I looked at her and realized she had no teeth. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's all falling into place. Yep. <laughs> Makes perfect sense now. Yeah, a friend of mine, uh, this is when I was like selling everything. She, she was sugar dadding this dude and would just call me randomly like, oh, I got a hotel room. Come hang out. So I bring her up work, come hang out. I ran out of Adderall one day. And I was like, I can't get back to the doctor because, dude, I was going from fucking Philly to Wayne, New Jersey to a doctor mm-hmm. for my Adderall. And I was like, I can't get up to Wayne. Like, She's like, oh, don't worry about it. Just try this. So I was like, what is this? She goes, speed. Don't worry. In my mind, I'm like, okay, so it's not like meth. Like, it's yeah. just speed. It didn't even look at the fact, like, it's glass. This is, this, there's no, so, she's like, just do little pieces of it. By day three. Yeah. I haven't slept at all. I would remember what my old roommate in Canada, who was a meth head, was telling me, like, you just force yourself to lie down for, like, three hours a night. You're not going to want to force yourself. So, after, like, the first day and a half of realizing, okay, I'm on meth right now. At my job, tweaking, like, just get through the day. Fucking... You, you got you got to study how to do it. You got to do the research. Yes. You got to find out what the methods are. Wow. Before you go there and you wow. And okay. you operate. 
plowing right through. Okay, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm selling crack at the time, and we're in a park, and day three, mind you. Can't believe you're so unprofessional at work. Uh, <laughs> no, and this was the best part. I went to work, and then I went, and so, yeah. so everything I fucking trapped in was like how I'm dressed now, like mm-hmm. slacks and a fucking button-up shirt with a bunch of black Muslims. It stuck out like the sorest of sore thumbs. So I was a novelty for old black dudes to buy crack from. Okay. Um, made a sale, and then the trees just start going wah, wah, and moving in on me and shit. I was like, oh, okay, I have to go in for the night, or I'm going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> and I just turned, and I was like, hey guys, I'll see you back at the apartment. I went, and I smoked like fucking an eighth and a half of weed just sitting in the corner of my room. Like, when is this going to fucking end? I never... Well, okay, um... <clears throat> coke... Sorry. Yeah. No, uh, coke I never did, because when I was 16, the Iron Sheik tried to buy, have me buy him crack. Mm-hmm. And, uh... I found out he was making, like, 30 grand a week in the 80s and blew it all away. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, I can never do coke. <laughs> Ever at all. Because the money's not there anymore. <laughs> so even if I make it, I can't afford that size so of wait, coke. So how, how much money was... Iron Sheik making in the eighties, and he and he, uh, he was making like nose. thirty G's a month at one point for Vince. Yeah, and he was living in a trailer at the time Boy. in two thousand three. Yeah, but then doesn't that also tell you how awesome Coke is? Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. It must it's, be that well. It that is, must be that good. It's, it's as good as molesting kids. Yeah, <laughs> you want to do it once, you never want to stop doing it. Fucking okay. <laughs> oh, he's like, just making him humble. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he used to Put give the camel clutch. eight by tens to cops to get out of tickets. Fucking one of the guys who trained me used to drive him, and uh, he's like, "We got pulled over." He goes, "He's rolling a joint." The cop comes to his window, and he goes, "Hold on, Baba." Officer, it's okay. I'm the Iron Sheik, three-time heavyweight champion of the world, and his hands <laughs> in the eight by ten. This is for you. It's okay. I have no idea on me right now. I'm very sorry. We are just going to a show. Is, uh, is everything all right, officer? And the cop is just staring at him. And she, she goes, is everything all right? And he goes, just turns to, turns to Danny and goes, just don't kill anyone. Just get him to wherever he needs to go. Just don't. Because what do you say to that? Yeah. Like, what the fuck do you say to that? <laughs> oh, like, he's magical. Oh, dude, he's the man. Smoking weed with him. Bubba, this is very good, but I need to know where I can get some of the nice rock. Yeah, I don't know, like, how he's lived this long. Like, because like, some that's people... So, that's so... He's so old. He is... He is a hundred bazillion years I old. I think I have the explanation, years. though. You know, in the Bible, they say people live to, like, 300. Mm-hmm. The Iron Sheik's one of those people. Yeah. Fucking... He was in the just, Bible? No, yeah, he has to be. <laughs> because he's just doing... Uh, Judging by looks, he's half the people in the Bible. Yes, yes absolutely. So, it, if he dies at like 92, that's living 300 years. Yes. Like, by my actual own math, he's 920 years old if he dies at 92. Mm-hmm. Which, I, th- I think that, I think it would be fair for Iron Sheik to be immortal. Certain people, it's, just like, it's the same way, like, the way Trump eats. Yes. He's going to live to 100. Yeah, oh, easily. Because when you have that much contempt in your heart, yeah. I think is what it is. Like, he's so evil. Like, yeah. the evil... Yeah. The evil... Ugh, I don't know how... Sheik is a lovely man, but he hates everyone. And Donald Trump, I'm sure, hates everyone. 
Like, you can't be Donald Trump and not hate I had a dream about Donald Trump once where he was so nice. I, I mean, I just want to live in that, in that reality. That he's just such a nice guy. Oh, uh, yeah, no. When we hung out and... No, it, but it's all pro wrestling. Like, yeah. The whole Trump getting elected thing was like, he's just going out and cutting promos. Yeah, 100%. That's all it was. And fucking... So, what? <laughs> Zach, uh, kind of shifting gears. Um, I, I asked this question once and I decided that I'm going to continue mm-hmm. to ask this question every time. And I mean, it wasn't that long ago, so I haven't been asking it for very long. All but four times. All four times I've asked this question. Um, if you run into a man who is like, is like 70, 80 years old, and he tells you he's you from the future, mm-hmm. what do you say to him? No way we let that one. <laughs> <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Take your dick out right now, or I don't believe you. <laughs> Crafty old gay guy. <laughs> if you blow me, you'll live forever. Yeah. <laughs> Masturbatory. Crafty old queer. I'm not falling for that again. That's <laughs> fucking great. So, I mean, uh, kind, kind of switching topics uh, all together, but sort of the same. Um, you, you've uh, experienced some loss in your life. Yeah, have like... Some friends, family, loved ones that... Not a ton of people. ...had passed away, or have you not? I mean, we all, uh, in Roast Battle, we all kind of exploit mm. who we've lost. I, I can't have a grandfather drown, but he was old. Mm. Uh, not a lot of uh, young loss. Just grandparents, really. I can't think of uh, anything, too. Uh, so, your grandfather drowned? Yes, he had uh, dementia and vertigo, and he, had a, he lived uh, waterfront property. I mean... He was probably going to take a piss in the the lake behind the house. It just fell and didn't know which way was up. <laughs> but he was very old. I mean, nobody nobody tragic like when they were young or anything. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think happens when you die? What do you think? Like, what do you believe in? Like, what was your what was your like faith base as a kid versus now? And like, what do you really think has like evolved to you to believe right now? Uh, I actually. Grew up uh, going to a non-denominational church, mm-hmm. which I actually think is really cool because uh, yeah, nobody had, uh, it was all different religions all went. Mm-hmm. I kind of just, you know, you believe in an energy and whatever. Um, I, I do have, I do have uh, probably something along the lines of a Christian mm-hmm. ideology, but just coming from that, it's just more of like a sense of community. Right. When you grow up in that. And yeah, I, I do. I think there's too many coincidences in the world for there not to be some type of master energy that makes like all these convenient little things happen all the time. That there's too many. So, do you think that heaven and hell are a thing? I don't know. I'm not sure. I wouldn't bet on it either way. Yeah. You know, I kind of laughed at somebody on this very podcast when. <laughs> Corey asked the question, and I went, oh, you go to heaven. And, like, I tried to stop. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the certainty more. It's, it's, the it's, certainty it of, like, feels the one thing we can't like know. We, we can't know this, but you are 100% certain that you've got it figured out. And you do, We don't know what's on the bottom of the ocean. No. No, we have no fucking clue. Dude, I have an ex who, like, she, she swears she knows. And, like, since we've broken up, she became a flat earther. Like, and I'm just like, 
But how can... You don't know. Well, yes, I do. Okay. Uh, I don't know what to tell you at that point. Like, yeah, there's so much new shit we find out every day that, like, with space, with everything, with the ocean, it's like... I don't remember where I put things, like, a week ago. I'm not certain of that. But how can I be certain of what happens when you die? Because if you line up, like, so you line up a bunch of people who had near-death experiences, and you ask them all, what did you see? It's all different for each one of them. Well, like, we, we met that comic in Philly, who, he said he had, like, a real bad car accident, and he, like, was in a coma, and he died for a little while. And his, like, brain, his brain injury was bad. And he was, like, kind of going through a crisis. And, like, we were like, what, ha- what did you see when, when that happened? He's like, nothing. Nothing. And now he struggles with kind of just being a shitty person. Yeah. And he's like, well, whatever. There's no consequences to any of it. Yeah. So he just kind of, like, he, like, he'll, like, what, he, like, bought, bought an old heroin addict on the street, like a, like a Wawa coffee for a blowjob or something like that. He, like, told us this story outside of a club in Philly. Oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that guy. That guy who fucking made me reevaluate my whole life when he's like, dude, you're like a cult leader. I would follow you into the desert. And I was like, oh, no. That guy wants to follow me? That guy, like, is, like, the worst version of the worst version of me. But he, he had a traumatic brain injury, so you're like, okay, like, try. But, yeah, that I, I vividly remember that guy. And his jokes sucked. That was like if he was funny and was oh, that yeah. fucked up. Like, yeah, like yeah. Different. If he was funny, they would it would change the whole thing. It would change everything. Like, oh, okay. Well, like, well, you're you're already living in a consequence-free environment. So tell some shitty jokes and see how well they go over. Well, that's um, and like, like my brother, my street brother got shot nine different times, and one of them he died. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, probably like, the last one. No, he died. No, and he came back. No, he's yeah, he's he's cutting hair somewhere. Um, but like, he's like hardcore Muslim. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what did you see though? And he wouldn't tell me for the longest time. And right before I split, he was like, nothing. I was like, why are you still Muslim? He goes, I don't know, I guess fear. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, the fear of the unknown. To kind of put that in your back pocket and go like, okay, no, I know if I can just convince myself, like... I'm good to go. Fucking. Alright, so now that the life is sucked out of the room, uh, <laughs> um, where do you want to go? So, um, what, what, like, are the choices that you make on a daily basis that bend you in the direction of continuing to be a better person? Uh, wanting to stick around and be able to entertain people. Yeah. I, uh, I, most of my choices are made to uh, be able to lead a life where I have the opportunity to entertain people. Uh, now, at this point, for financial, it's my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, all I've ever wanted to do is, is make movies and make people laugh. So all my choices are based around how can I do that. Uh, before, now, it was always how can I make a living doing that. And now that I do make a living working in entertainment, it's always been how can I continue to do it, have a comfortable life, and be able to have a family one day based off of Working in entertainment. Yeah. Oh, the Jake story. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would like to do that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh, and right after we do that, kind of do sort of a speed round. I've never done that 
before. Yeah, and sure. That'd be kind of neat to do to try it for the first time. Yeah, I'm structured with it. With the <laughs> dude, you're fascinating. You're so fascinating, oh. and I, I, I always like to have conversations with people who fascinate me. So like from the very start, of, I the minute I met you, it was outside of Skankfest, and you had like a. What, fuck you too Like the Captain Smalling yeah, yeah. hat on Or what was it Most of all Most of all fuck you Yes And I was like Oh this guy's Very fascinating So I'm, I'm And I always want to say Like <coughs> Any conversation I have On here I always say This is a This is a time capsule For us This is our time capsule For who you are At this moment Let's say You're working for Disney Someday We can go back And see what this conversation Was or like Or your president Or yeah. some, some Who knows You know what I mean uh, I said I had uh, Chris Cotton on my podcast a year ago, mm-hmm. and I said I, I'm curious to see where you're going to be in six to eight months. Mm-hmm. And now he works at Comedy Central. You yeah. know what I mean? And he's going to do my podcast again on Tuesday of this week or something. And it's like I'm real fascinated with like I was excited to see where you'd go, and I feel the same exact way about you. Oh, thank where you I'm right. like I, I I'm excited to see where the path takes you. And this is this is a part where I go like if if I don't make it, you know what I mean? I don't make it. Somebody one day wants to see what kind of person I was. This is a time capsule in that. So with that being said, you can, can you tell me something that you'd give a message to yourself in five years listening to this episode back, mm-hmm. wherever you are, listening to this episode back, and then tell the Jake the Stink story? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, probably be, uh, keep, keep uh, the podcast is the most important thing. This thing I was like, I do realist podcasts, I'm starting my own horror podcast. I think that is going to be the most important thing, building a fan base for yourself, because nobody's going to do it for you anymore. Being on The Tonight Show is not going to get you 50,000 fans the next day like it did in the 80s and the 90s. Nobody watches TV anymore. You need to be in people's ears every week. They need to feel like they know you and they're your friend and you're approachable. That is what comedy has become, is being in people's ears every week. And that's what I, it's just, you know, I think I would go back and hopefully I, my advice to myself is stick with the goddamn podcast every week and make sure everybody knows you and knows exactly who you are and be yourself, as much yourself as possible, because that's how you're going to get that fan base that, you know, pays for the house one day. So, so how about so Jake? Jake the Snake story. I don't know if I've ever done this on the show, because I'm with wrestlers, it'll be fun, uh, Dinky Comic Book Convention two years ago, maybe, uh, in Elmira, New York. It's in a minor league hockey stadium, and it's they hired Troma to come. For people that aren't familiar with Troma, we make uh, horror comedies, but very exploitation, very gory, a lot of nudity, very much adult-oriented films. We get to this convention, and it is for children. <laughs> they gave us a giant booth. They were fans. They were very nice people. <laughs> But there's like, you know, like Pikachu walking around yes. and like, it's, yes. we're children. We're not selling shit. Um, and we're did just you, sitting there Did you day. say you're not selling shit? Like you're going to push it out, but it's not going to get sold? Or you're not even going to put it out? No, we, so we had the whole booth out. We're just, <laughs> so the kid could, a kid could have discovered trauma that night. Oh, many did. Many put their hands and like held up DVDs and their parents would put them right back. <laughs> I just I just told this story the other day. I was I was picking him up from work the other day, and he works right next door to a, a beer distributor. And this guy was holding hands with his kid, walking into the beer distributor, and the kid stopped. You know those like those like cigarette butt towers that mm-hmm. like, people put the cigarettes in. The kid stopped and he started touching it. The dad was like, "What are you doing?" And he was yelling. And I'm like, "You're taking him into a beer distributor. Calm down." 
Sorry, got <laughs> like, so, so This is the, the kid at the drama. swatting away the DVDs. Yeah, so it's, it's a nightmare. But uh, the guys that ran it were real sweet. And I always, whenever I do a convention, I tend to email the organizers and say, Hey, I'm a comic as well. I was working for Troma. If you have anything I can do, MC contests, moderate Q&As, I love to perform. I'd be happy to do it for free. So the two things they come back are, would you like to host trivia for children, which I loved. I did comic book trivia with little kids yeah. and interviewed them all, and I had a blast. And the other was, Jake the Snake is the headlining guest. Would you moderate his Q&A? Fuck yeah. 100%. Um, I go, and I made the mistake of wearing my Vince McMahon shirt. But I have a Vince McMahon shirt that I love. What is the Vince McMahon It's shirt? him uh, with, like, it's, it's, a, it's a Vince McMahon mugshot. <laughs> I just love it. It's, a big, it's the whole shirt. It's is like that, a graphic of Vince. Is it a shoot mugshot? Of no, it's from, uh, from Raw the, a couple years ago. One of the Raws when oh, he got busted. Oh, from right, uh, Raw a couple years ago. Okay. And uh, so I meet Jake. And it's literally just, you know, curtains hung up in the back in the back room of a hockey stadium. And uh, the guy walks in, he goes, Zach, this is Jake the Snake. I go, Jake, great to meet you. Huge fan, happy to do this with you. And he goes, uh-huh. <laughs> and he and the organizers of the festival come up to me and they're like, hey, Jake has 45 minutes. Just walk him through it. Pick on, you know, pick the people who are going to ask questions. And uh, this is obviously a kid's event. Keep it very light. Keep it fun. Uh, which would be... Uh, would come into play pretty quickly. Seems impossible. Oh, so wow. we go out, and the audience is just uh, autistic people, children, and morbidly obese people. And I know which two of those three I am as well. <laughs> so I can handle this. Which one? A child? You're a child. And I start to call, and I go, guys... Welcome, WWE legend, Hall of Famer, Jake the Snake Roberts. He comes out and immediately starts calling on people and ignoring me. And I try to call on people, and he goes, no, and just <laughs> pick somebody else, right? First question, little kid, like, did the snake ever buy anybody? Somehow he gets from that within three minutes to, my father was a pedophile. And I did not hold my youngest daughter on my lap until she was 19 years of age. Oh, my God. <laughs> in fear that I would be sexually aroused by my own child <laughs> and turn out just like my father. <laughs> and then, then this jerk over here would throw hot coffee yeah. in his face and say, I uh, tripped and pedophile and <laughs> dumped him right in your face. It's a nightmare. It's the dark. Every oh answer is the darkest, saddest story and I'm trying, and the, I'm just trying to keep it fun. I'm really trying to keep it like he's telling story. He goes, "We were at Diamond Dallas Page's house. Scott Hall and I were nose to nose, face to face, about to come to blows." And I went, "Oh, did he throw his toothpick in your face?" And he goes, "What?" <laughs> I went, "Did he? Did he throw his toothpick in your face?" And he goes, "No." It just keeps going with the show. <laughs> He hates me, right? <laughs> and all he's doing is telling sad, dark stories about his life and shitting on other wrestlers. And he goes off on this tangent about how much he hates Vader because Vader broke his stern. And how Vader was unsafe and, you know, a piece of shit, hurt everybody, hates Vader, shitting on Vader. And the people running the convention 
give me the time's up. And they're like, cut them off. The cast of Aqua Teen Hunger Force is waiting to go up. So they're like, cut them off, cut them off, cut them off. He's telling me how much he hates Vader. Like, all right, guys, Jake could do like one or two more questions. And he got his head back to his booth where you guys can all get pictures and autographs. And he goes, he goes how about it's over when I say it's over, Vader? And 90% of me is terrified, and 10% of me is like, you just call me shit. Vader. That's awesome, God. Love Vader. Right? And I'm terrified. And I'm like, say something, say something, say something. I'm like, well, I hope I don't smell like Vader, because, you know, you hear in shoes yeah. that Vader smells. I hope I don't smell like Vader. And he goes, shit, you know Leon? And I'm like, yes, I got him. Right? He does fuck another 20 minutes of his sad stories, and then he closes with, and if any of you ever want to see me, I do stand-up comedy. I tell stories on stage like the one time Andre the Giant farted on me. Thank you. <laughs> and then just leave. That's it. He couldn't have done any of that. Does no funny shit. Just sad stories. Sad story. And says, one time Andre the Giant farted on me. Thank you. Good night. Gets up. I was like, all right. I shake his hand. I go, thank you so much, Mr. Roberts. Really appreciate getting to sit there with you for 45 minutes. I literally just sat at the table sad. <laughs> yeah, just... And I thank you so much. He goes, no, thank you. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And he walks away and then he turns back around to me, like that like sports moment where the athlete turns back around to the like happy little yes. kid and he goes, well, it's not like you fucking did anything. <laughs> <laughs> and goes oh, back to his shit. table. <laughs> that is fucking amazing. He hated me so much. <laughs> Dude, the old guys are like the surly, the most surly bunch of fucking old men. Like that whole hacksaw, smoking weed with hacksaw one time. I was smoking spliffs and he hit it. He goes, there's tobacco in this kid? I was like, no. He goes, had cancer. I said, yeah, sorry. Uh, he, He goes, I had cancer. Can't do it, but I appreciate it. And just gave me the thumbs up. And I was frozen. It's like, Hacks, Hacks, Nuggets, give me a thumbs up. Hacks, and I'm like in the business, and I'm like, like th- this shouldn't be happening, but the fact that I'm smoking pot with him and he gave me the the, the big old hacksaw thumbs up, I was like, this is like how everyone imagines their dad. <laughs> it's like, yep, that's, yeah, can we go play catch Uncle Hacksaw? Like, it was that fucking, I was that thrown off by it. Uh, Jake one time, we did a show. They brought him in at the arena. And he... This was like when Jake was fucked up, fucked up. He's lying on the fucking stage. And his music hits. And it's... What condition my condition was in. Kenny Rogers from Big Lebowski. He proceeds to sit up. Start doing the little bop. Reenacts the whole walk around the living room scene. Complete with pantomime. Making a drink and everything. And then a minute and a half into the song, hits the curtain to go out to the ring. That's the whole... I think getting clean made him really mean. I think that's what it is. Yeah, he was uh, just an angry man with a big cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. Yeah, getting clean, like... You can't smoke crack forever. But by the same token, I bet you he might have been like a lot more affable when that was in his rider. Yeah, I'm sure he was, uh, I mean, he wasn't the worst. 
But it was just everything that could go wrong in that series of events went wrong. Who was, like, the worst... You don't have to name the person, but the worst experience doing one of those fucking things that you've ever had. Like, the most ridiculous, like, how the fuck did that just go wrong type thing. I always get stuck on stage with people that, like, I'm only vaguely familiar with and then have to kind of lie my way through it. It's just like, you know, the cast of Rob Zombie's Halloween. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> but it's, just, it's usually, everybody's here to just make money and have fun and hang yeah. out and have a few drinks. Everybody's been pretty cool. Um, I can't think of anybody that's been, like, an enormous dick. Uh, there was a comic I loved. He's since passed away, so I don't want to name him. But uh, I did a show with him not a couple of years into comedy. I opened for him in a bar in Jersey. And uh, I guess the, the guy who owned the bar knew my family. And I had done shows there before, and he introduced me to him. He's a big fan of yours. And the guy's like, who are your influences? And I, you know, I go, Big J. Okerson, Jim Norton, Jim Jeffries. And he goes... No, I mean the classic clowns. And I was like, what? He was the classic clowns. Laurel and Hardy, three... Like, just started giving me, like, a comedy lesson. <laughs> and then went on stage. And I had mur- I did, like, 15. I had a great set. In, you know, in front of a bunch of people I knew. from mm-hmm. It was in Jersey. I had a great set. And he goes on after me. He goes, guys, give it up for Zach and Miko. Doing great for all you guys. And everybody was goes, yeah, I'll be working at Burger King in a fucking year. Huh. Whoa! This guy that I like loved. That's a, that's a Brian, the Brian Christopher. Yeah, Brian Christopher. Uh, when he first got fired in like '04, was doing indies, and one of the kids from around here worked him. And after the match, kid goes, uh, "Hey, you know, do you have any advice for me?" He goes, "Yeah, burn your boots." The kid is just looking at him like, like "What?" He goes, "Yeah, burn your boots." He goes, "How many jobs are there?" It's like, a, like like 200. He goes, you're not going to get any of them. Just burn your boots. And it shattered the guy's psyche. Because it's like, no, but you're... I look up to you. Like, what the fuck? Like, did you get over that quick? Or was that like... Too honest, Brian Christopher. Yeah, oh. <laughs> fucking... Yeah, it, dude. I'm such a fucking drug addict that like when he fucking did the whole hanging himself gimmick... Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw, like, Lawler left him in jail. It's like, it's his dad's fault. Like, no personal responsibility whatsoever. Right to, it's his dad's fault. And now his dad's saying it's all at work. He's like, no, no, no. He didn't hang himself. That's a work. Someone killed him. Because if you're going to trust anyone with state secrets that they would murder you in jail, it's Grandmaster Sexay. Yeah, of course. That, it's yeah. how he became a Grandmaster. Yeah, yeah. He, he knew too much. <laughs> <laughs> that guy a rat, worse. He's the worm. <laughs> <laughs> so, speed round, real quick. Yes. Just uh, in, a, in a sentence or two, uh, what do you think of these things that I'm about to say? Louis C.K. Best comic of the last 15 years. Great director. Um, I hope everything gets squared away and he can come back and work and deal with what he did in an honest way and that gives people advice and closure for how to move on from having bad behavior in their lives or having uh, making poor choices and I hope he's still be able to, I mean I think he's a phenomenal director and writer on top of being a comic and I hope he gets to explore a lot of the things that are still in his head in a lot more mediums 
Roseanne Barr. Uh, one of the uh, Roseanne's one of the most important shows of all time and one of the best written. I think she's obviously a mentally ill person, uh, but ABC knew that when they hired her. Uh, and, uh, you know, she gave us John Goodman and Laurie Metcalf, two of the uh, best performers, I think, in television history. And she gave a lot of great people jobs. Agreed. Very true. Norm MacDonald. Uh, the best joke, well, one of the best joke writers of all time. Have you watched his new show? It's awkward. It's weird. It's really fucking weird. It's really weird. It's a little weirder than his YouTube show was, uh, but very, very funny. Uh, one of the greatest joke writers of all time, and somebody who I think taught a generation of comics how to play with silence. You know, there's something I meant to research... Uh, from watching that show, the the only episode I've seen that I really enjoyed so far was the David Spade episode, mm-hmm. um, and he said walking the rooms, and he went to go explain what that was, and hadn't. Do you know what that means? Yeah, walking the room means purposely getting everybody to leave. Okay. Patrice used to walk the room if he was having a bad set. He would be so brutal to the crowd that they would all get up and leave. That's called walking the room. You could do it on purpose, <laughs> where you literally purposely get everybody to leave. Or you could just bomb so bad that you walk the room. Yeah. I've, I, I've, I've done both. <laughs> well, you're the checks guy. Yeah, one time I was doing this tourist trap club at Times Square, and they had two rooms. They had a, um, there was one floor, two showrooms, and uh, I went up and just bombed. And these two black ladies were in the front, and they hated me. Two jokes in, get up, walk out. And what I didn't know is they went up to the guy, the the floor manager and were like, hey, we still want to see more comedy, just not that guy. Can we go into the other room? So they seat them in the front row of the other room where I'm the next comic right after <laughs> I get off stage. So I thing, you know, I bomb, thank you, good night. I go, and they're like, hey, will you go up into the next room? The guy's not here yet. It's supposed to go on. <laughs> it's too late. I would think, ladies and gentlemen, Zach and me got get on saying too late to just get up and walk out before I even say anything ever again. God so I walked damn. the same two people twice in one night. That is awesome. That's an accomplishment. We walked a whole bar. <laughs> they gave us an open mic at some shithole in uh, Levittown, which mm-hmm. is like the recovery capital of the world. Um, it was this old biker bar. We had an open mic for six weeks. And by the end of it, it was just us there. Yeah. Like, I, uh... I've had mics start where they literally say to all the people in the bar, hey, we're about to do comedy if you guys want to leave. <laughs> the strangest thing that we saw was for the first, like, two weeks, people, I think, assumed it was, like, open mic music. Yeah. So, they're doing... We had a guy go up and do dice for ten minutes. Another old man went up and did Dangerfield. Mm-hmm. Like, 65-year-olds just went up and did all Rodney Dangerfield. And Corey walks up to me and goes... They're just doing other people's shit. What do we do? And we're like, let's just let it go. But then someone went up and tried to roast at the end, and it was just, there was no, we, no one knew him, there was no fun in it, it was just like some, and uh, the other thing happened. Now, the other thing is that in pro wrestling, if a fan hops the guardrail, mm-hmm. you beat the yeah. shit out of them. So, Corey says to me, he goes, fan just jumped the guardrail. So my mind, like, went straight sideways, like, are we going to fight now? 
Like, what the fuck? We have license to fuck you up. Yeah, like, you jump the guardrail. You can't, you can't. Right. And he's like, it's comedy. This is supposed to be fun. You can't, you can't just fight people. It's like, okay. Like, I'm, I don't fight, but it's, there's rules. God damn it. It's, there's rules. It's I've seen it. Survive. Oh, yeah. I've seen, I've seen the fight. I saw Big J choke slam somebody through a table. Um, years ago, a little, a little room. Uh, people try to get on stage and attack the comics. I've been, I've had somebody get on stage and try to hit me. Oh, shit. For, like, you said something that fucking triggered him so yeah. bad? Yeah, yeah, Oh, man. Is that, like, that's a badge of pride, though? No, it's not fun. No? No, it's never fun. Well, you don't want to, you do, at the end of the day, no matter what you do in comedy, you do want to entertain people. And, like, if, if and if there's no getting back, there's no, like, saving the show from that point. Like, the show's ruined. You can't be a heel. Matt Marin had to give me the talk, you can't be a heel in comedy. Yeah. It's like, okay. Like, I get it. I definitely get it. Uh, I told a joke about selling heroin in a, in a recovery town. Yeah. And this girl, who was all drunk, called me the devil. Because some, some lady said something and I, about, like, oh, that's so sad. I was like, lady, lady, I was selling it. I wasn't doing it. And I went back into the joke, and apparently that got this girl all pissed off. And she's like, she's like, you're, you're no redeeming value. No redeeming value. And I was like, oh. You're cute. That sucks. Like, and that's when the Marin had to give me the talk. Like, you can't just you can't just do this to offend people. Like, you gotta like make people laugh. That's the whole point. And it's like, oh, okay, because pro wrestling fucks your whole world up. Yeah, where you literally start thinking you could be a heel in life. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh yeah, if I can do if I did this at my job, it would be such a heel move. And it's like, no, that would make you an asshole. You can't you can't turn heel in fucking life. Yeah, the best uh, piece of advice I ever got in comedy was from Big J. He said that on stage you're the sum of your flaws. And I think that's something I try to do. That's something a lot of great comics uh, kind of set forth. That I think uh, no matter what your character is on stage, you are the problem. You, you it's, this is the way you're looking at the world, and this is why it's funny. So you should everything that's wrong with you should be out in the open. And whether or not, what, whatever kind of comedy you do, uh, you're always the only one on stage. So it should be about the sum of who you are and what's wrong with you and what you're learning. And there should, you should always learn something throughout your set. There has to be a realization that you have. You know, you're not going on stage to lecture people. You're going to be relatable in some way. And that usually is by... Saying, you know, this is what's wrong with me, and this is what I learned, this is how I figured it out, and kind of taking people on that journey with you. Well, it's a vulnerability. Yes. It's vulnerability. So, that's a, that's a thin line, and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that, or maybe maybe talk about it a little bit. Like, uh, the the difference between vulnerability and sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Like, thinking about, like, that was enough, the, the, last, the last thing I was going to put on that on that uh, speed round mm-hmm. was going to be the hashtag Me Too movement. And, uh, you know, the, the, the sensitivity, the, the, it's, tough, it's tough sometimes to speak your mind and uh, not feel like you're being under scrutiny for every single thing you say. Yeah, so I think the movement itself is important, and it's a great thing, and it's very important that people are having their voices heard and people that are committing crimes are being punished for it. However, I think people on both sides don't realize that outrage culture is being monetized now. So you see all these hit piece stories come out about people 
the people doing this reporting, doing this journalism, the people doing these tweets that expose these people, it's not to get justice. Right, it's not. It's, it's not to get attention, right. it's to get clicks, to sell articles, to sell newspapers, to sell commercials on your TV show. So I think people, I think what essentially is a really good thing is being monetized and exploited because nobody ever gets hit with a Me Too when they have nothing going on. Right. No. Or it doesn't stick. You know, they tried to get Maynard from Tool, but they don't have an album out, so nobody gave a shit. You know? Yeah. But Aziz, they got the day after he got an award. James Franco, when did they get him? When he was going to get nominated for an Oscar for a disaster artist. Yeah. Louis, he had a movie coming out that week. Everybody they hit, C.J. Miller had a movie coming out. Yeah. They always get you when you're in the news, because that's the most profitable time to get you. Yeah. They sat on that fucking Aziz article for months. Makes sense. They had that. Makes sense. But they wanted to release it... When he had some shit coming out. When he got that, uh, I think, a People's Choice Award or whatever that he won for Master of None, because it was a sexier story, and then all of a sudden the story started with the girl going, oh, well, you know, last night I saw him wearing that Time's Up button, and it just made me realize I had to say something, which is horseshit. Yeah. They were just waiting yeah. to strike while the iron was the absolute hottest to get the most juice out of the story. Well, that's, and that's the that's thing, like... The, the exposing, you're trying to expose uh, the people who deserve to be exposed, and collateral damage is only collateral damage because... You're getting it's your the message is all insincere now, the the uh, delivery of it. It, 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 it. We've exposed the work on that just right here. Like all the money that's being made from exposing people who don't deserve it, like who deserve like Harvey Weinstein. Sure, he probably deserves it, but you know when it comes probably to probably caveat on that. Oh yeah, I, pro- yeah. I, love uh, that. I feel so much like a better person right now that I'm not the one who said probably on that one. <laughs> Star. Uh, <laughs> but I'm saying, like, uh, like, like, we live in a culture that loves to do two things: build idols and tear them down. It's like that statue of Saddam Hussein getting pulled down. Yeah, that's what we love to yep. do: is we like to make somebody the biggest thing in the world, and then find the reason they suck and we hate them because it gives the, us back the accountability. Like yes. it puts it back, like where we made you. And we can break you. You're not too big for the people. You know, we like to go, we want to be just like them. Yep. And in the same sentence, want to go, we're better, you know, you're no better than us. Yes, because in a weird way, we expect them to actually be better than us. Yes. Like, yeah, it's like, um, it's like when a parent says, like, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out of it. Like, as a, as a crappy little idol threat. But, like, that's what we want to tell these idols that we make. Yes. We want to, we want to, uh, you know, we want to tear them down just as quick, if not quicker, than we built them up. Way quicker than we built them up. It's all these people that were tweeting, you know, fire James Gunn, fire James Gunn. He said, he said inappropriate jokes. All those people weren't boycotting Disney when uh, Victor Salva got to put out movies. No. Jeepers Creepers 3 came out. Yeah, and he actually nobody like, gave a shit, molested he, children. He fucked the kid on camera. And nobody's, nobody's protesting Francis Ford Coppola for paying for Jeepers Creepers 3. I had a friend of mine who was a director tried to def- defend, like, Roman Polanski to me. He's like, no, like, dude, you even know the story. I was like, he fucked a kid. I was like, there's there's no story to that. Like, she, don't, she wanted it. Little kids want a lot of things. They don't know what they want. You don't fuck kids. Like, it's not, it's not an arguable point. Fucking... But the weird way that, like, Roman Polanski will get forgiven, or uh, exactly the Jeepers Creepers dude, 
and the giant bus tire that everyone's expected to fucking sit under now. Yeah. <clears throat> where there's a huge difference between, like, raping 300 people on a casting couch and, uh, you know, like, she uh, she sucked my dick for a little bit and thought better of it, and that was it. Fucking... People just need to realize that everything has nuance. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's the, the, the speeding train of outrage culture that can't be slowed down. But it's going to swing the other way, and eventually you're going to have... It, it, it's a boy-who-cried-wolf situation where so many stories are going to come out where we're going to get desensitized to it, just like with school shootings. Oh, yeah. Right, they were they didn't exist. They no, and now or, they happen all the fucking time, right. and you're just like, oh, another. Another one? Yeah, that's yeah. sad. Yeah. That's, that's eventually going to be people's response. And it's also like... And it's going to be, unfortunately, one day, to somebody who's a real fucking monster did something horrible, but we're so desensitized to a million articles, you know. Yep. Chris Hardwick's mean sometimes. Oh! Yeah, it's the same the same level as, like, Dude, Bill Cosby song. raped 53 people. Yeah. Fucking... But, uh, we... <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> He's a 53-time hardcore champion. Oh, yeah. The 24-7 rule. So we did a pilot that... We're actually, like, once we get it edited properly, I'll send you um, for a podcast with me, Corey, Marin, and Chris, like, which is basically going to be, like, us, like, going through old wrestling tropes with mm-hmm. Crespo, trying to catch him up to everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're explaining the hardcore title, the 24-7 rule. And fucking, he's, we showed him the clip of, like, the guy, he's like, did anyone ever get pinned in their sleep? Like, you just sneak in and sleep? And he's, I was like, yeah, they actually did. He goes... So, like, they drugged him? I said, yes, and Bill Cosby was the 53-time hardcore champion. <laughs> Fucking. But wrestling, like we always said, like, with the Me Too thing, everyone's like, how did this not hit the wrestling business? And it's like, well, it's a very simple thing, because the first person to say it's going to be someone like Sonny, who is so fucking credibility-destroyed... That it's going to be meaningless, and that's going to set the bar for where the movement's at. Well, it's also like in movies, there are hundreds of movie companies. There's hundreds of movies, millions of dollars in movies in different production companies. Different. All, how many millions of production companies are there right. in wrestling? None. One. One. There's one place you can go work, and they're kind of cool with it. Like they're 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 fine with it. Fucking. It took Moro having, like, a fucking full-on nervous breakdown publicly to get fucking Bradshaw out of there. Yes. He went, He went like, a decade of just hog-tying guys in the shower and fucking bullying people, and no one gave a shit. Like, that's the wrestling business, because we're the bastard end of things. Just like comedy seems to a lot of times, when it's not under, or it's under the tiniest of tiny microscopes, where you can't book guys for their personal lives... You can't fucking... Someone tweets something offensive and there's 85 people on it. You say something in a promo someone doesn't like and someone's tweeting and gets you banned from the business. It's the same... Like, it's little pockets of it. But I guess it's because also Louis is way more famous than Michael Elkin. Yes. You know, I think that's a big part of it too. Um, but it never sticks. A black bolt... A blackballed wrestling. Remember, I said to you, it's crazy that such and such is booked. Yeah. Blackball and wrestling never sticks. That blackball has been out for. I'll explain to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's. Dude, I used so, to work for Rock and Rebels. Uh, blackballed wrestling. Oh, which he I, stole from me, by I, the way. I I, I worked for that company for years. Yeah. Like I, I that that's actually the place where I made some of my best friends that I've made in wrestling. Like some of like the biggest memories I have are out of meeting people in that locker room. 
Like, we had our own TNE locker room at Blackball. And that's what, like, we'd be like, me and Zach and, um, and Bomboy and Dinmock and Rich. Like, just that, we, like, took over. And, and Niles and Jeff. We just took over. I remember, I just figured it out how I can really, because I had a shirt made. It said Blackball, it was right after I got fired from Ring Honor. It said Blackball 05, and then it said, I hate wrestling on the back. And then him and Greg came out as Blackballed, like, the next week. And this is what led into me being his son for a year, telling mm-hmm. everyone. Um, so I figured out the real way I can get back. I have to become a Mormon now, so I can get multiple wives, and then kill all of them and kill myself. And that's one-upping him. That'll show yeah, him. That'll show him. <laughs> that's, that's basically... It's a real money-in-the-bank mentality. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about pride, and a little bit about ego, uh, and sort of where, where like... Where you find a healthy balance. Because there is pride and ego, but then there's just being proud of the things you do. And, uh, you know, confidence and arrogance. Like, what are the things that make you feel like you're really proud of who you are? And, like, how do you walk that line without becoming kind of an egomaniac? Like, if you show up to a table and people come up just to meet you, or, like, get signed for a picture with you, or you don't need like, pay for a signed picture... Or something like that. Like, most people don't have fans. We don't have fans. Like, most <laughs> most of the world doesn't have fans. But, like, us, like, I have two different autographs. Like, like that, okay, that made me an egomaniac when I was 19 years old. Um, how, do, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Uh, you always get brought back down to earth. For me, it's because what I do is so fan-driven. Especially with trauma, you know, we have people come volunteer to be extras in the movie. Uh, people, we don't get shown in every theater. We get shown in little theaters in every other town. We have to tour with the movie. So you're always very thankful because if those people didn't show up, you wouldn't be there. And same with comedy. You know, you're always going to have even famous comics do shows in the city and they don't do great because it's not their fan base. You know, you have your Louis, your Jim Nortons, Chris Rock go to the cell and they don't always murder because it's not their crowd. So comedy's a little different in that you're never too big to to fail right. to do bad in a room uh, the Trump movies yeah absolutely it's because it's completely fan financed and driven the last movie we ran out of money and we raised 40000 on Indiegogo to finish it mm-hmm. um, so you, you're we're very the fans have invested in us so they're a viable part of how we make our art yeah so you never get too big to meet anybody and uh, I've worked with People that were perform- actors in trauma movies that did get a big head about it and didn't want to meet the fans. And that just drove me more to, you know, while they were having dinner on the theater, yeah. I was the one standing outside the screening room shaking everybody's hand, thanking them for coming. Because that just drove me more to see other people who didn't appreciate it. I want to appreciate it five times more yeah. now see to show get. these people... You're, you're inspired by what not to do. Yes, 100%. Now, with what you're saying about knowing your crowd, because wrestling's the same way, where, like, what got over in Philly didn't well, Jake get Jake didn't get that memo. Yeah. yeah. Yes. He didn't know his crowd. Of course. Um, have you ever, like, just been in front of, like... Does it happen often where you're just in front of a crowd and go, like, oh, yeah, this is a bad idea? Uh, countless times, all the time. You go up in front of a crowd, and it could be, you know, just they don't like the kind. I, my stuff is a little sardonic and a little uh, schmarmy sometimes, and I come off kind of weaselly. 
And if I'm going after some chick who's doing jokes about you know the new Taylor Swift song, and she's murdering, I know I'm going to go up and eat my dick. But that's part of what we do. Yeah, I know that you know every few crowds is going to be a bad one for me because I'm super dirty. Yeah, and if I have to go up too early in the night, or if one person is uncomfortable, it could it could <laughs> throw off the pH balance of the whole room. Yes, yes. You know, I had my I did a show a few months ago. Uh, where I was doing pretty good, it was, it was touch and go, but I could get away with my more dirty stuff, and I was building up, got dirtier and dirtier, and I went to do my closer, which it does pretty, I'm very confident in it, and I, I love doing it, I, I, I very rarely does it do poorly, but one lady got super offended, and the whole room took that cue, to be like, this oh, is too no. much. It oh. just takes one, ugh. Yeah, it and takes then, one, like, I one hate, lady. Uh, or you know what the worst, I hate when... When you do a joke and one person didn't like it, and they go wop wop yeah. wop. It's like what the f- what you you didn't help me by making that sound. Yeah, like you might have just I, ruined the whole night. I like sometimes you you just go like oh, I wish that was acceptable to go to your job and do because right. I would so go to your post office and well well that's like the old the heckless the like the the oldest heckle res- response. Like in the biz, yeah. Where you go, oh no, squeegee out of your hand or something. Whatever. No, but like I, I've actually left sometimes, like really envisioning it in my head, like going and like, or like I'll have a bad customer experience with somebody doing something the next day, and like fuck, I wish I could heckle you. Now I understand. <laughs> now I understand. But I mean, also you have to realize that people are there to have a good time, and this is their one night out. Like we forget yeah. as performers sometimes. Yeah. We're out every night entertaining people or, or yes. in these right. settings it's, of entertainment. It's, it's, Some uh, people only get to go out once a month. So the true. stakes are really high. You know, you don't know what they can afford. You don't know this is the only night they have a babysitter. So uh, Circumstantial. Yeah. Like and it's stuff that has nothing to do with right. you. Yes. But this is their one night out. Like, uh, I remember, I, I same Taurus Trap Comedy Club. I... Uh, on top of doing checks, I would run drinks. And I watched Luis J. Gomez, who I co-host my podcast with, go up, and it's dead. There's like nine people in the crowd. It's the worst. Of the nine people, five of them are a... Excuse me, four of them are a family. Mom, dad, sister, brother. The brother is possibly the gayest man <laughs> alive. He's just, he radiates it. Oh, wow. And Lewis starts doing a bit that he did right after he had his son, where he would ask a guy in the crowd, would you care if your son grew up to be gay? He asks the father. He goes, would you care if your son grew up to be a gay man? And the father goes, yes! (laughs) 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 And the whole room now is just super uncomfortable. (laughs) It's bad, right? So Lewis starts doing crowd work with the family, and uh, he goes, uh, what are you guys doing here tonight? Well, you know, what brought you out to the comedy club? And uh, the, dad, the dad goes, uh, I got $5 tickets on Groupon. <laughs> and he goes, you cheap son of a bitch, you spent $5 each on your family's entertainment? <laughs> you cheap asshole. And the wife goes, it's my birthday. <laughs> and he goes... You paid $5 for a show for your wife's birthday? Ma'am, divorce him right now. <laughs> and she goes, ah! and starts crying hysterically. 
runs out of the room. The son follows. He walks the room. Son follows her. Dad and daughter stay for the comedians. So now we're down to like six people. Oh, God. And now as the comics are coming on stage, every time I come in with drinks, you can hear the mom wailing in the lobby. So it's like there'll be a comic on stage in the middle of a bit, and it's like a haunted house. The door opens, and you just hear, (laughs) At the time, horribly awkward. Oh, yeah. The second it was over, hysterically funny. Shit in the world. (laughs) So you know the divorce was in the back of her head. Oh, it was coming. So, um... This is the way I usually end this by wrapping up saying, let's say all of a sudden this is your podcast. Let me just give it to you. Mm-hmm. And from now on, Evolving with Zach Amico is a thing. And this episode was your pilot. Mm-hmm. And you wanted to just wrap up something like a Jerry Springer's final thought in saying, what's the most important thing about you that we could have learned from this or something that you want to be the lasting taste in somebody's mouth? When they hear Zach Amico. Uh, for this, I think the important crux of the conversation was just us connecting how much comedy is like wrestling. And what it is to be, you know, out on the road entertaining people having to read a room. And what I want people to remember about me personally is what I said about the sum of your flaws thing. And that I'm just trying to entertain people. I love revealing embarrassing things about myself in order to connect with people on a deeper level. And it's really, really fun. And even though a lot of my roasting stuff and comedy stuff is super mean, that is also a look into who I am and the fucked up thoughts I have all day and what makes me laugh. So it is, a, in a way, me getting down to this base level of who, of who I am as a person and how much I like just making people laugh and busting balls and sometimes saying the worst thing in the world is the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> We're all figuring it out. We're all in the middle of figuring it out. And saying that, I just kind of want to say, like, I don't know if anybody ever offers you this, but, like, if you need a resource in any way, feel free to hit me up about anything. If it's just, like, uh, you need caps to crash on if you're coming to to where we live, if, you know, you you just need some judgment-free conversation with a friend, I'd like to be your friend. I've never had this long of a conversation with you, and I think you're a lovely person. No, thank you, brother. I appreciate that, man. And I really thank appreciate so I really appreciate you carving this time out to hang with me, and even this guy. Yeah, and this was super cool, man. Thank I you guys very, very much. much. I appreciate, appreciate you having me. Like, um, I know we're gonna get to do a bunch of cool shit coming up. Like, this is this I'm, is this step is step cool. one. I'm I mean, not step one because we've. We've met yeah. and yeah. done some cool stuff together. It's like this, step, is, like, this is early stages, early steps. Yeah, like towards, three and a half. Right, yeah. But, dude, I really appreciate you You guys having me on Real Ass Podcast. Philly, if, you're ever, if you're ever in Philly, man, come up to our place, come crash with us, hang out. Like, Absolutely, man. Thanks, guys. always open. Thank you. Absolutely, man. All right, so uh, this is episode 101, right? Some, some, episode 101. Uh, if you like this episode, it's your first time listening to it. Go back and listen to the other hundred episodes. Uh, uh, particularly listen to uh, Mike Kaplan, Johnny Pemberton, Todd Glass, any of those episodes. Um, let me know how you feel about them. Let me know you exist. And uh, that that offer that I just gave Zach applies to anybody who's listening. If you feel like you need to talk to somebody and you don't got anything, 
you think that you know the world's the world's not in your favor, you know, you call me up. We'll talk about it. That's talk fine. to Corey because <laughs> yeah, one of us cares and it's him. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, appreciate you listening. Um, have a great day. Keep evolving. Thank you.